0: It's over.
1: Welcome back. Welcome back. Episode 63 of the We Know Ball Podcast. My name is Ryan. We got a good episode for you guys today, as is usually the case, man, because it's football season. Things are back in swing. We've got three weeks of college football under our belt, we've got two weeks. Minus two games under our belt in the NFL. So much to talk about, so much to get into, and we're going to do it. That's the day today. We're going to talk college football. We're going to talk NFL. And then also wanted to give my two cents on the Kelsey documentary because I watched it. And I thought it was a multi-part thing. I thought it was a multi-episode thing. uh, But ultimately... The Kelsey documentary was something that I got into last night and uh, wanted to give my two cents. So, diving straight into the uh, football slate, starting with the college football slate, heading over to the NFL. In college football, there was not one single top 25 matchup on the board, meaning there were no teams both in the top 25 to Uh, face off against each other. There were, however, some top 25 teams that played unranked teams and took an L, took a big old L. Uh, The teams towards the top didn't really have much of an issue except for Georgia and Texas. And it was really interesting to see kind of how these teams would respond after some marquee sort of wins or victories to an extent, right? You've got Texas coming off the win against Alabama. Huge victory. You've got Alabama coming off the loss from Texas. You've got um, Oregon coming off a good win. LSU coming off a good win. All these teams in the top 10, top 15, top 20. Uh showed up this weekend and they played some pretty good ball, but things got a little bit scary for a few of these teams. So Georgia, number one team in the country, played South Carolina. Now S- S- South Carolina's got Spencer Rattler, and he's a great quarterback. He plays really good football. He he I think he's one of the most talented quarterbacks in in all of college football. The problem is South Carolina as a program lacks any sort of protection or depth or supporting cast around him to allow him to really Flourish at his maximum potential. Um, That being said. He played pretty well. And Georgia got a little scared there. Got a little scared there. At the beginning of that game. Going into halftime. Georgia was down to unranked South Carolina. 14 to 3. 14 to 3. Now I also understand. And anticipate. The fact that last year, and we've mentioned this, last year the quarterback play all across college football, in my opinion, but especially towards the top with Georgia, with Alabama, with Ohio State, with Michigan, with TCU, honestly, the quarterback play was at a really, really high level. And I think the depth at the quarterback position in college football over the last three to five years has really thrown people off because now the college football depth is nowhere near what it used to be or what it has been in the last five years. The top programs in the country have struggles at the quarterback position. Alabama has no clue what's going on at quarterback. Carson at Georgia, is so average, it's crazy. Now, he can get by with that because Georgia's defense is always amazing, but still, it's a step down from Stetson Bennett. Ohio State seems to be having real definitive issues
0: at the quarterback position.
1: The top programs are struggling to pump out the high-level quarterback production that we've seen in years past. You lose Bryce Young, you lose C.J. Stroud, you lose Stetson Bennett, Max De- like I felt felt like a lot of that quarterback depth was at a really high level, and this year you have quarterback standouts. You have Caleb Williams. You have Quinn Yours. You have Jordan Travis. But if I were to take, let's just say, I think those m- most people would agree those are the top three college quarterbacks right now. In maybe no particular order, I think mutually most people agree Caleb Williams at USC is the best uh, quarterback in college football. But if you go down the list, I mean, you got Caleb Williams, Michael Penix at Washington. Who's played on how many different teams in college? Uh, Quinn Ewers, who's pretty solid at Texas. But just quickly here another team that struggled significantly was Texas over Wyoming. Texas won 31 to 10. Okay. That doesn't seem that big of a deal. But going into the fourth quarter, the game was tied 10 to 10. The game was tied. Quinn Ewers got out in terms of passing yards by the Wyoming quarterback. Now, that doesn't mean, I mean, they ran the ball 31 times, Texas did, but Wyoming ran the ball 38 times. Just really interesting that some of these teams at the top seem to just be struggling. And back to the topic of quarterbacks for just a second, okay? For just a second. You go through the draft last year. You're looking at the quarterbacks that are available uh, or coming out of college into the draft. Bryce Young, CJ Stroud, Anthony Richardson, uh, Will Levis, uh, obviously Bennett, Duggan. That group, the group of quarterbacks that were draft eligible last year that went in the draft, in my opinion, are significantly better than the quarterbacks that will be available in this year's draft. Caleb Williams is a very, very talented quarterback, and he's probably going to go top three, if not first in the draft. And after that, you've got Quinn Ewers,
0: Michael Penix, Jordan
1: Travis, like a lot of, in my opinion, B-level quarterbacks. Jordan Love-type quarterbacks, where they're going to come in, they're not going to start, Get some reps as a backup. Those other guys I mentioned in last year's draft were immediate impact starters. Bryce Young, CJ Stroud, Anthony Richardson. It's a step down, and because of that, I think it's throwing off the whole college football spectrum in 2023. People are like, are they good? Is Florida State a good team? Is Jordan Travis a good quarterback? I think, yeah, probably. They've played well. And then they play Boston College and they beat it by two points. Take it down to the wire. Like, what's going on? Georgia trailing 14-3 to at half. Boston College wins by two, or uh, Florida State over Boston College. And the quarterbacks all up in the air. It's a weird year in college football and it's starting to look a lot like it did last year in terms of any given Saturday, anybody could take anybody down. And I don't know if that's because of the NIL or what happened, uh, but it's really
0: interesting. The college football season this year has been extremely unpredictable with number one, Georgia,
1: trailing 14-3 to at half. Number three, Florida State, squeezing out a win over Boston College. Texas being tied with Wyoming 10 to 10 in the fourth quarter. Anybody could potentially beat anybody in this year's college football world. It's really interesting to see. It's really uh unpredictable. And I think if I were to make, if I were to put my money on teams that I think have the best chance to win it all. In my opinion, it's going to be the teams that have the most standout, definitive quarterbacks to lead their teams to victory. Notre Dame and Sam Hartman. Quinn Ewers in Texas. Potentially Bo Nix
0: at Oregon. But
1: all of those teams have the complementary pieces around them to make sure that even if they don't play at their absolute peak, their team could probably still pull off a victory. Shador Sanders at Colorado is an incredibly talented quarterback. But Colorado has nothing on the offensive line. That's another game. How did they, they... They should have lost to Colorado State, to be honest. In that game as we'll touch on it very quickly. Oh, and and also uh okay, so the upsets in top 25 uh number unranked Florida, unranked Florida at home took down number 11 Tennessee. Um Tennessee just looked very not impressive. Um like I said, Georgia was as a bit of a scare, Florida State a little bit of a scare, Texas a little bit of a scare. Um Penn State was playing with Illinois pretty tight for a while and then kind of pulled away. And then I think, oh, Missouri, who is now 3-0, took down number 15 Kansas State, 30-27. to Missouri was unranked. I haven't checked the AP Top 25, and we're going to go over it today, but Missouri is going to be in the Top 25 now. Um... Of course, the Colorado and Colorado State game with Colorado, number 18, Colorado and Dion, um, squeezing out a crazy victory against Colorado State. That's nuts. And we'll talk about the hit. We'll talk about the hit. And then that was it. So the top 25 teams to lose 15, Kansas State, number 11, Tennessee. And I think that's it. There was no top 25 matchup. So that's why, um, That's why it was a little bit tight or not tight. I should say like a lot of those, the rest of those games were just kind of meh. You've got number 18, Colorado, Deion Sanders playing Colorado state in the Rocky mountain showdown
0: goes to double OT Colorado pulls out the victory. Colorado's had a ton of hype. Dion's done a great job. But what that game showed
1: me is that Colorado as a program is still at least two to three years away from like actually competing for a national championship. This year, they're flashy. Deion's got them going. Uh, they have a lot of talented skill players going around the roster. Great quarterback, great receivers, really good DBs. But their line of scrimmage presence is to put it nicely
0: weak Colorado State should have
1: easily easily beaten Colorado and i hate that word should have because i'm going to correct myself they should not have beaten Colorado because Colorado State committed 18 penalties had like nine personal foul penalties no they not they shouldn't have beat Colorado they didn't deserve to what i will say is Colorado State played Well above the level they needed to to beat Colorado, but self-inflicted wounds. Colorado got a big time scare. Dion is realizing probably pretty quickly that you play against teams that have a uh, dominant dominant line of scrimmage presence, you're gonna struggle. Nothing against Dion. I love what he's doing. I love the program. I love all the energy and the enthusiasm. I really do. I love everything about it. I think it's awesome. I think it's so cool how he's sort of transforming college football as a whole. That being said, it's very clear that they're still a couple years away from like really giving those top programs a run, like an actual run for the national championship. Because if Colorado played Georgia, Georgia would beat them 65-7 to like they did to TCU last year. Because line of scrimmage in football, Always, always, always wins. Line of scrimmage always wins in college football. Unless you literally have a Hall of Fame caliber quarterback. In the case of literally Patrick Mahomes, Aaron Rodgers, uh, you know, maybe Caleb Williams type in college. And Shador Sanders on Colorado is a phenomenal quarterback. But Colorado and Dion's team. Has been, honestly, dominated at the line of scrimmage so far this year. They've just gotten away with it because their skill position players are insane. Shador Sanders, at quarterback, is insane. And they haven't really played a good team. They're going to play Oregon next week, and they're like 24-point underdogs. I would take that spread.
0: Travis Hunter is out.
1: Colorado, meh, on the road. It's going to be interesting to see. Maybe they show up and play, and college football has been weird. But pretty obvious Colorado is still a couple years away, and hopefully they can get those pieces, because it is good for college football when you got a story in a situation like Colorado with Deion Sanders and then becoming relevant in the national conversation. The hit on Travis Hunter. By the CSU DB. Um, I want to make sure I get the kid's name right. Um, CSU. Number 11 football.
0: What's the kid's name? Henry Blackburn. Okay, so... henry blackburn
1: drops one of the most just like despicable hits i've ever seen on a guy like travis hunter and as much as people are calling for the kids to get punished the kid to get suspended right as as much as people are saying the kid needs to be punished which i agree the coach also needs to be facing similar if not worse punishments the
0: coach needs to face the same type of reprimanding
1: because i don't know who henry blackburn is i don't know who number 11 is on csu i never talked to the guy i have no idea i don't know his history he could be the meanest and biggest pos out there and maybe he is but also i don't
0: think he would do or I- I don't know him personally,
1: but I highly doubt that hit he put on Travis Hunter was all on his own. And then he was the only guy thinking, I'm going to go after this kid. And everybody knows it's also a part of football. And the coaches will tell their guys indirectly
0: hey, you know, Travis Hunter. He can't hurt us if he's not on the field. Don't commit personal foul penalties. Don't go after guys and try to hurt them. But
1: if you have a momentary lapse in judgment and you happen to take a cheap shot on a guy, make sure it hurts.
0: So the late hit, the cheap hit on
1: Travis Hunter, that is as much on the player as it is on the coaching staff, because that's not just that guy going off on his own and trying to just lay the wood on Travis Hunter and what ends up being lacerating his liver. That's the coaches telling them, please hurt their best players. And that is super lame and deserves to be punished just as equally as the kid himself. Suspend the player, suspend the coach, two games, two games, suspended. Puts the team in a bad spot, puts the coaching staff in a bad spot, and also sends a message. Football is a physical sport. Football is designed where you are tackling guys. You would like to inflict pain on them to some degree, but you don't want to cause career or life-threatening situations by headhunting guys and giving them CTE, or lacerated organs. That's not what football's about. Football's about physical, line of scrimmage, domination, strength, discipline, speed, and fundamentals. Tackling with your head up, arms around a guy, wrap up, grab grab cloth, take him to the ground. And when the ball hits the ground and you get a three-step running start at a kid, put your shoulder in his gut, At full speed, two games, minimum suspension.
0: Minimum. And coach as well.
1: Because that's super, super lame. And now the whole country is going to miss out on the matchup that was going to be CU with Shador Sanders and Travis Hunter against Oregon. Now it's just Shador Sanders. CU does not have a chance. And yeah, they probably would have lost anyways to Oregon. But seeing Travis Hunter in that environment would have been awesome. Not anymore. He's probably going to miss the matchup against USC, too. Lame, lame, lame on that CSU kid and the coach. Super lame. The AP top 25 after all those games. It's pretty interesting to see. Uh, Georgia still won. Michigan is uh, still number two. Texas and Florida State swapped, which is very odd for me. Uh, because I know there's four quarters in a game or whatever, but I think both of those teams equally struggled. I think both of those teams equally did not look great. I think Florida State playing on the road. I know it's Boston College, but that's a road game, and they struggled to get the win, and then did. Texas played at home against Wyoming and was tied 10-10 to in the fourth quarter. I do not think Texas did anything to deserve swapping with Florida State. Whatever. They're all in the top four. That is what it is. USC's at five. Ohio State is at six. Penn State's at seven. So none of that's changed. Ohio State has dropped, though. Ohio State uh, previously was in the top four, and then they have dropped to six. Washington, eight. Notre Dame, nine. None of that's dropped. Oregon has jumped all the way up from 13 to 10. Utah's at 11. LSU is at 12. And Alabama drops from 10 to 13. Interesting. Very interesting. Oregon State jump, jumps up two positions. Ole Miss jumps up two. Oklahoma jumps up three. North Carolina jumps three. Duke jumps three. Colorado, with that tough win, drops one from eighteen to nineteen. Uh, Tennessee drops twelve spots. Twelve spots. It's number twenty-three. Uh, so Miami's at 20, Washington State's at 21, UCLA's at 22, Tennessee's at 23, Iowa's at 24, and Florida's at 25. So Missouri did not crack this top 25, which is very interesting. But whatever. It is what it is. Long season, only three games in. Still have a ton of teams undefeated, obviously. Um,
0: Yeah. So that's college football in a nutshell. Uh moving on to the NFL. NFL week 2. Some interesting 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 results in this situation.
1: Thursday night, Eagles and Vikings. Eagles take down the Vikings 34 to 28. On Sunday, Falcons took down the Packers 25 to 24. Bills took down the Raiders 38 to 10 Ravens took down the Bengals 27 to 24 Seahawks took down the Lions in OT 37 31 Titans beat the Chargers 27 24 Bucks beat the Bears 27 17 Chiefs beat the Jags 17 to 9 Colts beat the Texans 31-20. Anthony Richardson got hurt. I don't know the extent of that injury. 49ers beat the Rams 40-23. Giants comeback victory over the Cardinals 31-28. Cowboys destroy the Jets 30-10. And the Dolphins edge out the Patriots 24-17 in Sunday night football. Commanders beat the Broncos 35 to 33 also.
0: Um Commanders are 2 and 0. Falcons are 2 and 0. The Buccaneers are 2 and 0. I'll put it this way. Here's your 2 and 0 teams in the NFL. 2 and 0. Haven't lost yet. Eagles, Ravens, 49ers, Cowboys, Dolphins, checks out. Oh, also
1: the Tampa Bay Buccaneers, the Atlanta Falcons, and the Washington Commanders.
0: Do I think all those teams will make the playoffs? Probably not. But teams that have yet to win a game, the Broncos, the Chargers, the Bengals, the Patriots. It's very early. It's week two. I totally get it.
1: But the NFL this year is shaping up to be one of, if not the weirdest years
0: in recent memory. The Washington commanders are 2-0. The L.A. Chargers, 0 and 2. The Atlanta Falcons are 2 and 0. The Cincinnati Bengals, 0 and 2. The Tampa Bay Buccaneers, quarterbacked with by Baker Mayfield, are 2 and 0. Bill Belichick and the Patriots are 0 and 2. What is going on?
1: I know it's early. I know it's a crazy year, and I know all these crazy things are happening, but if these teams that haven't won a game yet don't, don't start to check it into gear, we might be looking at some odd season statistics at the end of the year, crazy standings. You've got a couple different 0-2 teams I wanted to touch on, okay? Number one, number one is the Bengals, okay? The Bengals are 0-2. They lose 27-24 to at home to the Baltimore Ravens. Now it's coming out that Joe Burrow, he's uh, week-to-week, re-aggravated his calf. Bengals didn't score an offensive touchdown until their sixth quarter of football this season. They've got a pretty decent team, I would say.
0: But what they have neglected year after
1: year is offensive help on the line of scrimmage for Joe Burrow and defensive help on the line of scrimmage to get after the quarterback. Now, I know Lamar Jackson is a dynamic, a dynamic
0: player. I, I totally get it.
1: But there's absolutely no reason When the Bengals and the Ravens play each other, just strictly quarterback-related, most people would agree Joe Burrow is better than Lamar Jackson. And yet, Lamar Jackson has a better quarterback rating, better passer rating by a lot than Joe Burrow, and they just played up against each other. What's the difference? Baltimore and John Harbaugh are excellent at the line of scrimmage. Cincinnati has yet to really provide Joe Burrow with a true offensive line. So then he aggravates the calf, In the preseason, in practice, okay, that's fine. Then maybe maybe rushes back a little bit too much. Cincinnati looks incredibly rusty in week one. Then they lose in week two. Joe Burrow, week to week, may not be available for a couple weeks. And the Bengals, who went to the AFC Championship last year, might be on the outside looking in when the playoffs come around. I'm just saying. I'm just saying. I had them winning a ton of games. But one thing you can't do when you're making those predictions is predict about injuries. And one thing you can't do when you make those predictions is anticipate the craziness that and unpredictability that is the NFL. Because every single year, something crazy happens in the NFL. One team massively underperforms. One team wildly overperforms. Now, I know it's been two weeks. Don't press panic yet. But if I was a Bengals fan right now, holy cow, would I be nervous? Holy cow. I would be shaking if I was a Bengals fan
0: right now. I'd be losing my mind. Then you've got the LA Chargers. You've got, I'll put it this way. Let let me, let me make sure this is emphasized. You could, you could put Patrick Mahomes, Travis Kelsey, Christian McCaffrey, Justin Jefferson,
1: Nick Bosa, T.J. Watt, Sauce Gardner, Jalen Ramsey, and any other superstar NFL player you wanted, all of them could be on the San Diego, or all of them could be on the Los Angeles Chargers, and that team would go 7-9. and nine. Or they'd go, uh, that team would go 9-8, and eight, get to the playoffs, lose in the first round, after leading in the first round game and having the team they play against come, come from behind and uh, beat them. That's literally what it would be. You could literally
0: put the best player at every position on the Los Angeles Chargers and they would go 9-8. and eight. They would never, ever, ever, ever win the Super Bowl. Ever, ever, ever in a million years. I don't
1: have the exact answer as to why that is the case. It could be the karma coming back to bite their owner, Dean Spanos, for moving the team from San Diego to L.A., and also just not being a great guy. It could be their inability to hire the right people and put them in the right situations, like a head coach who knows what it takes to run a full four-quarter game plan and not let teams just score a million when they when the chargers score a million or play defense or run the ball effectively or not get greedy or not go for it on every fourth down I don't feel bad for charger fans. I don't feel bad for the chargers coaching staff. I don't feel bad for the chargers ownership. I do feel bad for Justin Herbert because the guy just goes out and just puts up top 7 quarterback caliber numbers at least he has every year so far he's played and has done so the first couple of weeks and the chargers just suck they always the chargers are the best team in the nfl at losing they are the best they have always been the best and they will always be the best at losing oh what about those teams that never win and they always suck and they went zero 16 that's not the same Right. You've got teams and organizations and franchises that are tanking, right? Teams that don't have good players, so you don't expect them to win. And yeah, that's pretty brutal if you're a fan of that team. But the Chargers, every year, the Chargers are loaded,
0: loaded. And they just find
1: the best possible way to lose every single year. They don't lose every game. And this year, they start 0-2. I would guess they probably finish the year 10-7 and 7 and they get in the playoffs. But what I can absolutely 100% unequivocally guarantee is the Chargers will not win the Super Bowl. Because they're the best team in the NFL at losing football games. Herbert, Eckler, Keenan Allen, Mike Williams, Joey Bosa, Derwin James. I mean, that right there in and of itself is like, whoa some teams would kill to have that much star talent on their team and i probably missed a few guys and they just lose they just lose every year there's seven games a year minimum for the chargers where you can watch the game all the way through and the chargers find a way to lose and as a non-charger fan you can watch and objectively go that is brutal That is another heartbreaking loss. Oh, wait, didn't they have a heartbreaking loss last week and the week before and two weeks before that? And in week one, like, these
0: guys, dude, I...
1: It's... I feel horrible for Herbert. I could care less about almost anybody else in that franchise. I think Eckler's a great guy, too. But don't care about the ownership. Don't care about the coaches. Just like if I'm Justin Herbert, I am looking at my contract and my watch going, when can I get out of here? When? How soon can I go play for a team that's not the worst team in the NFL and also the best team in the NFL?
0: Feel bad for him, man.
1: I really do. I really do. Because I think Herbert is a great kid. And he. Oh, boy. It's just the Chargers, man. It's just the Chargers.
0: That's what happens. Last thing we're going to talk
1: about the NFL, and then we're going to go to the Kelsey documentary, and that is the situation that unfolded between the 49ers and the Rams. Here's the situation. 49ers are up by 10 points. They're favored by 7.5. So if you bet on the San Francisco 49ers to cover that spread, they need to win by 8 points or more.
0: In the fourth quarter, they lead 30-20. to 20. The Rams get the ball with a minute 34 seconds on the 30-yard line.
1: They move the ball. They get a first down to the 40-yard line. They get a first down to the opposing 45-yard line. And then, with a first down at the 45-yard line, they throw an incompletion with 41 seconds. They gain eight yards down to 19 seconds. And on third and two with 19 seconds, they throw the ball down the field for 17 yards. They are well within field goal range, and they probably were on the play before from the 37-yard line and 19 seconds left to go. If I was a coach, that's just the general strategy that if I was a coach with 19 seconds left... These suits are here to make sure that anything that I say is... Can't happen. Unreal. The, The ads on ESPN are insane. Anyways, if I was a coach with 19 seconds left... Even anywhere near field goal range,
0: down by 10 points, I'm going for the field goal. I'm kicking the field goal
1: with 19 seconds left because I need two scores. So I'm going to kick a field goal, hope that it goes through. Your better chances are of saving time on the clock and kicking the field goal as soon as you possibly can, then trying the onside, hoping for a miracle. Recovering it, throwing up basically a Hail Mary and hoping for a miracle. That's your best chance to win. What I can promise you, what I
0: can absolutely promise you. Is kicking a field goal without any time left to do that second part makes no sense, makes no sense.
1: I need somebody to explain to me the logic behind Sean McVay kicking a field goal as time expires so that the Rams could cover the point spread. And if somebody comes at me or if he already came out and said, oh, well, you know, it's good reps for our kicker, our special teams. Nope, I am not buying it. Nope, nope, nope. Now, whether there's something shady going on in the background or it's just McVay knowing the point spread.
0: It's a horrendous look
1: for the NFL to have the Rams kick a field goal with four seconds left on the clock, meaninglessly going through the uprights to shrink their margin of defeat from 10 to 7. It just so happens to move the score from a 10-point defeat to a 7-point defeat and covering the spread oh wow okay so either there's something really shady and weird going on in the background which if that's the case look out because the nfl would be in for it now that would never come out they would never let that come out or the second option is just in the back of his head sean McVay knows the point spread is seven seven and a half and says well We have no time left. Might as well run the kicking team out there to cover this spread. (laughs) In which case, that is also brutal. The point spread should never be even considered by any player or team on the field at any moment. All the time, you see guys have a wide open lane to the end zone, and they go down near the goal line because they want to run out the clock and help their team win. People go, oh, man, if you would have scored the touchdown, their team would have covered the spread. And that guy doesn't know that and doesn't care. Todd Gurley did it a few years ago. Jarek McKinnon did it at the Super Bowl. Those guys don't know the spread. They don't care about the spread. But something was going on in that Rams 49ers game. Because there really is not a true logical explanation for the Rams rolling out their kicker with four seconds left. I don't think there's one thing anybody could tell me where I'm like, okay, you know what? That makes sense. Because the only thing I could think of is McVay wanted to get some reps for the special teams guys and for the kicker, in which case that isn't a good enough answer. It was a 38-yard field goal. There was no pressure. No one cared. It was meaningless. So if you did
0: want to get him reps, bad time to do it. A little bit fishy. That's all I'm going to say. Just a little bit fishy. A little bit. A little bit. (sighs) All right, I'm done talking about rig sports. What I do want to talk about for the end of this episode is the Jason Kelsey documentary. It's on Amazon Prime, if you haven't seen it.
1: And the Kelsey documentary details the life and sort of the, it's a shortened version of basically the full season last year for Jason Kelsey, the center for the Philadelphia Eagles. Travis Kelsey's brother. Travis is in in the documentary a ton. They talk about Jason's life. They talk about Travis's life, how they grew up together, the mistakes they made, their path to success, their spouses, their children, yada, yada, yada. And it was great. It was great. It was honestly, it was a very good documentary. Like, I really thoroughly enjoyed it. It was great because it provides you with the insight and like the background of like, oh, this is what these guys are like off the field. And there was a little bit more to it because it ended up that Jason and Travis played against each other in the Super Bowl last year, which is a really cool storyline. Most people knew about it right away. It was shoved in your throat as they detailed in the thing. They were both like, man, we are sick of this because it's not about us. They talked about their paths to get there, like I said. And then Jason, in his age, I think his age like 34 season, 33, 35, something like that, close in his low to mid-30s. I mean, that's that's pretty old for an offensive lineman in the NFL. And he was contemplating retirement. He had another kid on the way. His wife gave birth like uh, shortly after the Super Bowl last year. And um, yeah, so it detailed all that. And I thought it was great. If you get the chance to watch the Kelsey documentary, I would highly recommend it. For two main reasons. Number one. It shows you something that I've always noticed, pointed out, and admired about the Philadelphia fans. Is that those people are so blue collar, so gritty, so true. And they hold their guys accountable when they don't play well. But they back their guys up when they struggle, or when they're going through a hard time, or just as players in general. It shows the Philadelphia sports fans, in my opinion, are the best sports fans in the entire country. They're better than New York, they're better than Boston, they're better than anything on the West Coast. Because they are so blue-collar, they embrace their athletes, and then their athletes embrace them, and they embrace that Philadelphia grind and they get after it.
0: That's number 1. Told shows me that Philly fans Philly fans are the best in the country. They have to be.
1: Second thing it showed me was Jason Kelsey as as a player specifically but as players in general, as a whole, showed me what these guys like really, really go through. And as much as people want to dog technology and social media and like the cameras and these guys' face all the time, pro athletes and they have no privacy, I agree with a lot of that. But for as much negatives as you could pull up about technology and documentaries and shows and all that stuff, there is, in my opinion, an equally greater positive. And that is, it provides insight to these guys' lives and it humanizes them. Because in their industries to begin with, pro sports is cutthroat. And these guys are just chess pieces for the executives making the decisions in these leagues. And they just go, hey man, I know you just bought a house, I know you have two kids, you're cut. Adios. And that is brutal. We don't think about that. Oh, get this guy out of here, man, Bench him. Release him. He's brutal. Now, they have a job to do, and they need to execute. But us fans can be pretty unaware of the fact that these dudes are humans. They're humans. Doesn't seem like they are because they are also tall and fast and, and offensive linemen are just monsters, but they are as human as it comes. That's the second thing. And what I wanted to really emphasize before I get, uh, wrap up episode 63 here, and I said it already, if, if you have an opportunity to watch the documentary, you have to watch it and really fully try to comprehend Jason Kelsey as a whole. He delivers a speech to his team before the Super Bowl last year. In, like, a hotel conference room. A lot of the team leaders and offensive guys were up at the front of the room talking to the rest of the team. And I'm not going to spoil it, but
0: man, Jason Kelsey, that dude cares so much about. Being the best
1: version of himself. And Jason Kelsey gets really emotional in a lot of the documentary, but especially in that speech. But at the same time, he's delivering such a fierce and powerful message to his guys about how they need to play, what they need to do to execute, and how they could win the Super Bowl. And he reels his emotions back in and he continues to talk. And as powerful as his speech was and how incredibly passionate he was, what stood out to me even more was how it was being received by his teammates. Because He's a veteran guy. He's been there and done that. And his message was unbelievably powerful. And his teammates sat there in silence and listened and watched how much this guy cared about the team how much he cared about his fans and jason kelsey's speech in his documentary did a humongous service
0: to his teammates and the players that act and feel the same way he does
1: And I'm not turning into a negative, but us fans who sit there and spend our money and go watch these guys play and, you know, root for them harder than anything and like go through it every single weekend. That's all we want out of these guys, dude. I think most fans would agree. They could really care less about wins and losses if they knew that every guy on their favorite team felt and dedicated their preparation and their way of life to their craft the way that Jason Kelsey does. They could care less if their team scores and does all this amazing stuff. If if you as a fan, if you know that every guy you're watching on the field is... Mentally, the same guy as as Jason Kelsey. You could care less if they win or lose because you know that they care like so, 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 so deeply. So deeply. And they are giving it 170%. Every play. Jason Kelsey sure is. I can promise you he is. Now his 100% at his age may not be as good as other guys 100%. But, man, he's going to give it to you. He gets emotional. He gets fired up. Those are guys you want to root for. Those are guys you want to play with as players. And those are guys you can accept potentially losing a game or losing a Super Bowl. And if you have a roster full of guys like that and you're not worried about wins and losses, I promise you, you are going to win a ton of games. If you have a team, any sport, any situation that has a bunch of guys that are mentally in the same space as Jason Kelsey is to the Eagles. You don't even have to worry about wins and losses because you're going to have success. If your team has players that act and think like Jason Kelsey, you don't have to worry about the W's and the L's because you know, Those guys are giving it 137% every single play. And that
0: typically leads to success.
1: If you are a person who doesn't understand sports, doesn't understand pro sports and the athletes and how much they get paid and why do people sit there and watch them play? We do it for guys like Jason Kelsey. He's a gigantic human being. He was gifted with speed and strength and size and athleticism. And he still, man, puts it all. He puts his body, his body on the line because sports is not about money. It's not about fame. It's not about success. It's not about anything else. Jason Kelsey epitomizes what it means to love. Sports and he happens to play it. He wants to be better than everybody. He's a competitor. That's what sports is about. It's about competing and it's about being better than everybody else. Putting in the work, caring, and dedicating you literally your entire life to something, to a craft, and being the best at it. Pouring your heart and soul. The speech that Jason Kelsey gave to his team
0: in the hotel ballroom the night before the Super Bowl was one of the best things I've actually
1: seen in my life in the world of sports. There's been a lot of great speeches. There's been a lot of great stuff come across
0: But God damn it, man, that
1: guy, he cares so much. He cares so much. He's a great guy. He's an excellent human being. And he wants to be the best, and he's going to give you every single thing. He is so dedicated. He wants to improve his own life. He wants to improve his family's life. He wants to improve his teammates' lives. He's so unselfish. Puts his body on the line. And, man, he cares. He cares as much as the fans do. Sometimes you watch these guys, man, and you're like, they they don't
0: care. You watch these
1: guys on TV, sometimes, and you're like, man, they're just going through the motions. I have rants about my favorite teams. Going crazy. Man, what are they doing? They don't care. And you can watch, man. Most sports fans can watch and tell if a guy's given 137%. don't have to question that with Jason Kelsey. He's a regular-ass dude that wants to kick your ass all the time. Every play, every snap, every rep in the weight room, and he says it in the documentary he wants to provide for his family. He wants to provide for the people of Philadelphia. He wants to provide for his teammates. He wants to do it all at the absolute peak best that he possibly can. If it's a podcast, he's going to do it.
0: If it's snapping the ball to the
1: center, he's going to do it. He has all these other business ventures in the documentary, and he's going to do those at his very best. You have, to, you have to watch the documentary because Jason Kelsey is him. Jason Kelsey is that dude.
0: It was so refreshing and inspiring and amazing and incredible to see how Jason Kelsey felt
1: about sports. Because it epitomizes how so many people feel about sports. And for there to be a guy on one of the best teams, one of the best players at his position, in one of the biggest leagues in the world, still feel the same way as the fans do, and be so dedicated to his craft, and be such a good human being. It was incredibly refreshing. Jason Kelsey, dude, legend, legend in his craft, legend, delivers one of the best speeches I've ever seen to his team before the Super Bowl. I mean, he's babbling, he's crying, he reels it
0: back in. And his teammates are just sitting there because they know they're listening to a grown
1: man who has given up and sacrificed so many things to be in the spot that he's in, just like them. And he knows how to do it. He knows how to get it done. And when you see a grown man, especially of his size, get that worked up about something, man, do they care. Holy cow, they care. Holy cow.
0: And the, and the Jason Kelsey documentary, goes beyond sports, in my opinion. If you're a man in 2023, yep. Yep. That's how you do it.
1: Watch the documentary and do what that guy does. Maybe you don't have the same body type. Maybe you're not in the NFL. But act like him. Be like him. Find something you feel that same way about and give it everything you have, dude. And how could you not, after you watch how Jason Kelsey delivers that speech to his team in the locker room, or how how Jason Kelsey delivers the speech to his team before the Super Bowl, how could you not?
0: Kelsey, dude, legend. Legend. Just the epitome of just incredible person, incredible person, incredible human being. And um,
1: he's dude, he is the goat. Like he's one of my favorite athletes. Now the guy is unreal, unreal. Love him. That's going to wrap up episode 63 guys. Uh, hopefully you guys enjoyed it. I sure did. Watch the Kelsey documentary. Don't bet on the Chargers ever. And uh, yeah, that's it. Appreciate it if you uh, if you guys aren't following on social media, please be sure to do so. If you guys are listening on Apple Podcasts or Spotify, our social medias are at We Know Ball Sports Instagram and TikTok. Uh, my Twitter is at Ryan Knows Ball, and. Also, their podcast, Jason Kelsey's podcast, is uh, I, I, know the, I know the name of it. I just uh, New Heights. New Heights with Jason and Travis Kelsey. Awesome. Go listen to it. Other than that, appreciate you guys tuning in as usual, and we'll get you guys uh, next time. That's some Monday Night Football tonight. Tune in. Here we go.